This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This Master Brewers podcast is proudly sponsored by Hopsteiner, a global leader in the hop industry focused on quality, sustainability, and innovation in new hop varieties and hop products. Contact our brewery sales team to provide you with the hop-related tools you need to craft your next great beer. For more information, visit hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand-new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. Basically, what we found was if they were stored properly, um, there was no growth on these, even even some of the cans that had been in here for, for longer than a year. To rinse or not to rinse, what's in your can? This week on the show, our friends at Community Beer take us on a journey to eliminate microbes and can filling. Uh, I'm Jamie Fulton. I'm the co-founder and brewmaster at Community Beer Company. We're about six and a half years old, and I've been in the brewing industry for about 16 years now. Well, hi, my name's Mark. I am, uh, I've been at Community for a little over, uh, about a year and a half now. Uh, I went to school at Oklahoma State University, um, studied microbiology, and now I'm working the lab. You guys set out to assess the hygiene of your packaging raw materials. What was the motivation behind this project? So the the project started when we bought our canning line about two and a half years ago. So we had we'd only been bottling, bought our canning line, and you know, so I started researching about you know rinsing the cans, and you know, I'd heard a lot of people using liquid sanitizers, and I kind of questioned this uh, method. As, as to its effectiveness and necessity. So that's kind of how the project started. And after a lot of research uh, and, you know, just testing in our lab, we kind of arrived at uh, the solution that we, that we outline in this presentation. Talk about the goals of this study. Yeah, so, you know, Mark and I then set out to, first of all, see in, in all of our packaging uh, materials, is there any microorganisms that we need to be worried about? And so we gathered cans and bottles from around the brewery. I mean, some pallets that have been sitting there for a year, like discontinued cans, uh, bottles. These were all under slip sheets. They weren't just open to the air. At a high level, what we were what we were trying to determine is, are there any microbes present in our packaging materials? And um, if so, you know, what would be the best method to remove them? What can you tell us about your methods and the overall design for this project? We took samples of cans from around the brewery from different pallets 
um, some of these pallets of empty cans had been in the brewery for a week, two weeks, a month, multiple months, and even some for longer than a year. And kept them covered until they were under our laminar flow hood and uh, pipetted sterile water into the cans to make sure, or to, and then we swirled it around to make sure that the water touched all parts of the cans, um, just trying to see if any microorganisms could have been present in that can, uh, just even if it's covered and, and stored properly. And then we pipetted out the liquid from the can onto the plates and uh, incubated them in aerobic and anaerobic uh, conditions. Did the same thing with bottles, too. Uh, we have bottles stored all over the place. Most of the time, these aren't. Uh, we don't have some backed up for as long as we do some of the cans. And uh, basically, what we found was if they were stored properly, um, there was no growth on these, even even some of the cans that had been in here for, for longer than a year. Um, wow. Yeah, it, it was... That was pretty surprising. Was it a relief that you didn't find anything, or did that just make you question your methods? I, I suspected we weren't going to find anything. That's that's one of my whole the whole reason behind me being skeptical about rinsing the cans with sanitizer. I was like, "There's you know what's really in these? I mean, yeah. bottles coming from you know being blown in a bottle manufacturer. I don't I, I wouldn't expect anything to be living in it. So I wasn't really surprised we didn't find anything. This study showed that properly stored cans and bottles didn't have any foreign material or microbes. Talk about what properly stored means. Yeah, I'll take that. So properly stored just meaning that the the slip sheets are covering all of the openings of the bottles and cans. It's it's pretty easy when you have a partial layer of cans to, uh, to, to not cover it properly. Uh, but, you know... We try to at least remove entire layers of cans if we're running like a you know partial pallet, just because it's it's kind of difficult to uh, to cover up and uh, keep the pallet uh, keep the pallet's integrity without you know toppling over a bunch of cans. So you know just keeping that slip sheet covering them, uh, any cans that are you know sticking out, um, we toss those. Uh, but later on, I think we can talk about even exposed cans. What we're doing to uh, prevent anything that might have fallen in them but yeah keeping the slip sheets over them keeping them uh wrapped tight and uh wrapping them up with plastic which uh, is not how they come to the brewery when we get them but when we do partial pallets that's what i mean by properly stored and the ones that come off the truck uh typically you know are all completely covered up that's how they come from the manufacturer so those are those are fine too. So were you already pretty much storing bottles and cans properly or did the results from the study ha have any impact on the way you store those materials? I would say definitely it does. I mean, you can see in our, in our presentation that exposure to air in the brewery introduces microbes. And especially if a pallet's been sitting there for a while and it has cans sticking out of it, uh, you know, the, there's the stuff's going to fall in there inevitably. So, yeah, I mean, after after seeing the stuff that would fall into cans and grow anaerobically, um, you know, we, we make our best effort to be sure that every can on a partial pallet that we do is, is covered up and wrapped. You didn't just stop there. What did you want to test next? So we tested um, some, some cans that had been exposed uh, to the brewery air for 
uh, different amounts of time. Uh, some of the cans we tested were only exposed for one hour, three hours, and then we also did a 12-hour exposure to the cans. Um, and the results were interesting. The one-hour exposure, there wasn't any growth. We didn't find any growth, uh, which was pretty interesting. I mean, this was done in the winter, so maybe there was potentially less uh, less microbes in the air at that time. Three-hour exposure, uh, we had some growth aerobically and anaerobically. Um, and then the 12-hour cans were pretty gross. Um, definitely didn't want to uh, be drinking out of those. But we, yeah, we found, I mean, we found everything from wild yeast. And, and on our presentation, there are some cool photos uh, taken from the microscope. I put my phone up to the microscope. I think they're pretty cool. Um, yeah, we got some yeast. We've got some uh, gram negative. Oh, and I, I did gram staining on these bacteria too, which is just a, uh, a staining technique to differentiate cells based on their uh, cell wall. And you can kind of use the gram nature to figure out, you know, some, some of these might be, um, they could potentially be beer spoilers or uh, beer spoilage organisms, but we didn't have any of them uh, genotyped. So we don't, we don't know exactly what they are, but some of them fit the mold for Acetobacter and, and some of them are definitely yeast. Uh, we got some mold in there and, and the photos are pretty cool. Yeah, they are. An ounce of prevention may be worth a pound of cure, but what about when you know these materials haven't been stored properly? What do you do then? Do you just have to throw them out? So that was, yeah, this this is all preventative, really. I mean, finding that there was nothing in the, uh, the cans and bottles uh, was comforting, but, you know, since, uh, being that something could be growing in it after three hours exposure, uh, inevitably something could fall in it like immediately after the slip sheet has been taken off. It's just, you know, um, probability of it. But so we went about to look at how can we prevent uh, anything that does get in there from uh, remaining in there or how can we uh, destroy it or kill it? So we kind of went through the, the common methods and a lot, a lot of people are using uh, some sort of sanitizer to uh, to rinse the bottles, um, a liquid sanitizer of some sort. And, you know, some people said, oh, it's, you know, it's sanitizing uh, bacteria or, or yeast or whatever. And some people were saying, uh, you know, I, I realize I'm not sanitizing it. The the exposure time is too short, but I'm just making sure that the, the liquid we're using is uh, not introducing any uh, any uh, microorganisms to the cans or bottles um so and you know the the problems i have with that are just you know the water usage it's it's a big mess um the residual sanitizer that inevitably will end up in the can and and also the oxygen pickup uh with you know inevitably oxygen being in the liquid uh you know with our with our canning line, it picks up virtually zero oxygen and uh, introducing even just a half mil of liquid with oxygen in it is going to increase that. Um, and, you know, another method is a sterile air rinse, which is common. Uh, but the, the problem with the cans especially is, uh, you know, being that there's a non-conductive surface and the cans being conductive, they really develop a static charge when they're on the, on the conveyor off the depal. And so uh, you have to uh, 
just rinsing with sterile air alone will not overcome that static charge and dust can can cling uh, to the can. And I read some uh, <laughs> this is a, a German thing, of course, but uh, exposing <laughs> bottles to uh, to sh- uh, short amounts of steam. And, and, you know, in, in Europe, that might be good. I mean, their, their bottles are a lot, they're returnable for the most part, and they can probably stand up to that. I don't really see that as a viable way to, to rinse bottles. And you certainly can't do it for cans, so. Yeah, yeah. Coming up. Yeah, we uh, we actually had no growth after the exposure to UV in the ionizer. So, yeah, mission accomplished. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. Support for this podcast is brought to you by ABS Commercial is a full-service brewery and parts outfitter. From our Raleigh headquarters to our Denver office, we proudly offer brew houses and fermenters from three barrels and up, yeast brinks, boilers, kegs, chillers, triclamp, and other stainless parts, all with the quickest delivery and lead times in the industry. Learn more at abs-commercial.com or call 877-BREW-ABS. ABS Commercial. We are brewers. Additional support provided by Bring the world to your brew house with BSG's diverse selection of ingredients and services. Our dedicated customer service team and industry experience provides you with the assistance you need every step of the way. Make BSG your supplier of choice with products essential to making great artisanal beverages so you can stay focused on your craft. Visit us at bsgcraftbrewing.com or contact us at 1-800-374-2739. And thanks also to Malt Europe Malting Company is a leading supplier of craft malt across North America. As a farmer-owned company, Malt Europe has carefully crafted quality malt from locally grown barley for decades. The result? A portfolio of base, specialty, and distiller's malts that exceed the exacting standards of craft brewers. Learn more and buy online at malteuropemaltingco.com. Here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. District Northwest meets in Bend the weekend of September 7th. The District Ontario Iron Brewer is at Common Good Beer Co. September 27th. District Western New York meets at FX Matt in Utica October 3rd. New Hampshire Brewfest 2019 is October 12th in Portsmouth. District St. Louis meets October 17th. And the brand new District Georgia is holding its first annual pig roast October 19th at Monday Night Brewing in Atlanta. District Mid-Atlantic meets October 19th at Union Craft Brewing in Baltimore. Registration is now open for the 2019 Master Brewers Conference in Calgary. Be sure to tack on a couple of extra days to enjoy some amazing hiking and make the 45-minute trip to Banff, which is one of the most picturesque places on the planet. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. Back to the show. 
you wanted an insurance policy, but steam's not an option for cans and you didn't want to deal with the downsides that come with a, a water rinse. Talk about this strategy you landed on. Yeah, so uh, my dad was an immunologist and I always went to his lab when I was little. And, uh, you know, one time we did a science fair project where we we grew some bacteria and I had, I think it was just a UV light, like, you know, you have in your room for black light posters. But uh, it, <laughs> it wasn't a great science fair project because I had, I think I exposed these uh, these bacteria to, if I remember right, it was like as, as fast as I could. Uh, turn on and off the switch on the uv light and then like you know five seconds and then 10 seconds and then a minute well every amount of exposure killed the entire population of bacteria i mean even just you know as fast as i could flip it on you know a, a fraction of a second is all it takes to uh to destroy microorganisms with uv light so uh, remembering that i was you know i started researching well is is uv light gonna uh, somehow interact with the lining in the can you know could i be doing something uh to the can here that i'm not intending and all of my research uh, i didn't find any reason why we couldn't be doing this were you aware, aware of other brewers uh using uv for this application i've never heard of a, of anybody using it for the inside of cans i've heard of breweries using it to keep for water um, and process water stuff like that yeah yeah to sanitize water and uh and also just to keep mold growing in certain areas but i mean the the uv light's dangerous like i, I wouldn't want this shining anywhere in my brewery uh and you can see on the slides we have a, a shroud over it to where it's really just you know showering the cans with the uv light um so but what it is we you know i found a, a a ballast and uh, actual germicidal UV light bulbs, which have a specific specific wavelength of light that is uh, most effective at at, uh, at killing microbes, at 260 nanometer. Uh, but <laughs> so I was I was telling my dad my solution about this and reminding him about this science fair project, uh, and he's like, "Yep, yep." He's like, "But do you understand why it kills the bacteria?" <laughs> and I forget what what jargon he got into then, but essentially it's because it. Uh, breaks the molecular bonds in their DNA, and uh, he he could explain it a lot better than I can. But that's that's the reason why it works. But it's uh, yeah, it's I mean close to 100 percent effectiveness killing uh, mold and especially bacteria spores, which are uh, problematic. And so the way I have it on the DPAL, uh, at least in my situation, uh, it was allowing about 10 to you know 40 seconds, depending on. Uh, you know how the DPAL was running at the time, but as I, as I mentioned, uh, any amount of exposure uh, to UV is is uh, is enough. Yeah. yeah. All right, that's pretty cool. So um, I guess continue on and let's hear a little bit more about uh, what you do afterwards because you're not just doing UV. Right. So uh, yeah, and just just to. The UV is dangerous, and whenever we're up there, like messing with the DPAL, you have to turn it off uh, so you don't expose your eyes and skin to it. But so the second, uh, did, the did second, you have to custom build the the shroud around it, or, or is that something you were able to purchase, <laughs> or how did that work? Yeah, it's made out of a really expensive uh, slip sheet from the cans. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, I mean, you know, 
don't reinvent the wheel, right? It's just some magnets holding it on to the uh, the the housing for the lights, and uh, yeah, I just cut some of the slip sheets. It's just an opaque guard. I can I can come up with something better, but that's what's on there right now. Um, so the the second step in it is rinsing it with uh, sterile ionized air. So there's you can spend a lot of money on uh, an uh, ionizer i know Cron- the guys from cronus were showing me one that was about $25,000 air ionizer and then it had a vacuum behind it uh, supposedly sucking up all the dust that comes out well i i found that a little ridiculous cuz there's hardly any if anything's coming out of these cans that are being rinsed it's <laughs> it's negligible i mean there's more stuff coming in when a bay door is open in the brewery so i don't see the need for a vacuum but so the cans after the uv when they're going down the twist rinse uh it's run the i have just you know plant compressed air coming in at you know 125 psi and then step down uh, with a regulator to about 25 psi. It's just kind of depending on how how hard you want to run it. It, it, does, it doesn't need to be much. Uh, then goes through a sterile uh, cartridge uh, filter, and then through an inline ionizer, uh, which I found one from Tac Industries that was about 600 bucks. And like I said, you can spend a lot of money on them, but uh, you know this this is the one that I found and it, and it does the job. So then that just goes to uh, some lock line fittings uh, that, that rinse the can with the sterile ionized air. So the, the point being that, you know, any static that's developed on the cans will uh, be overcome by these. It's, it just produces positive and negative ions in the air, which neutralize the static charge on the can and then allow the air to actually blow off any particles that might be clinging to the can because of that static charge. So that's that's the that's the reasoning behind the ionizing and that that's a very common practice with uh coca-cola you know these big uh big manufacturers of drinks they're they're they use ionized air to to rinse their packages it's pretty common um i was a little confused by your presentation it's it sounds like it's actually a two-step rinse process is that right well no, that that is in my presentation. That is how uh, I originally did it. Uh, we just uh, upgraded our canning line, and I found it redundant to use ionized and then sterile compressed air. Uh, I basically have uh, more fittings on it now and a shorter run. You're supposed to keep the the run very short between the ionizer and the actual uh, dispensing of the ionized air. So I shortened that up. And I just have now five nozzles spraying sterile ionized air into the cans. So, but previously you were doing a separate ionized and then a separate sterile. Is that what you were doing? Or? Well, they were they were both sterile, but yes, the first step I had two nozzles hitting them with sterile ionized air, and then it followed it up with just sterile compressed air. So, you know. I think that, you know, my, my method of doing it now, we're about to present this again at the Texas Craft Brewers Guild uh, Education and Safety Summit. And uh, I've upgraded the or I've, I've updated the presentation to show this. But, yeah, that's kind of I see it as a little redundant to just, you know, hit it with two different kinds. It just makes it a simpler installation. Got it. Uh, I was wondering, can you comment on why UV before air? Wouldn't it be better to sanitize after blowing out the cans? Yeah, it would. I just I found it a lot more practical to do it this way as they're coming off the depal. Um, I mean, we could, you know, you could put something right after uh, on the twist rinse uh, and shroud it. That would, yeah, that would be even more effective. I agree. 
So what did it cost to add UV and ionized sterile air to your packaging line? Less than 700 bucks. I mean, we, you know, we bought all the, the wiring, the switch, the, the ballast, the bulbs. I mean, literally the ballast and bulbs were about 50 bucks. Uh, and then, you know, you've, you've got to uh, drop electricity and a switch. I mean, you know, maybe 20 bucks there. And then um, the lock line fittings, some tubing, of course, lots of zip ties. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, you know, one thing I don't have in that budget is that sterile air filter, but it was relatively inexpensive. I think it was probably about 250 bucks. So I'd say less than $1,000 all in. Cool. And I, you were kind enough to put some uh, links and part numbers in your presentation. So I'll be sure to, to link to that as well as your um, updated one from uh, District Texas uh, in the show notes so that people can follow along that if they're interested in, in kind of, you know, utilizing the, the legwork you've done here. You've done some testing of exposed cans post-treatment with the new equipment. Any positives or has your insurance policy been rock solid thus far? Yeah, on the slides, we posted a few, just a few results because, I mean, a bunch of empty can or empty non-growing plates is kind of, we didn't need to post all the photos of nothing. But yeah, we uh, we actually had no growth after the exposure to UV and the ionizer. So yeah, mission accomplished. That's awesome. Anything else you want to say about that? Uh, yeah, I guess I'll say that the, these are the same plates or these, the cans that were tested after UV or uh, after going through the UV were the same plates that were showing, you know, that disgusting growth from the other, uh, the other tests that we did, the three and the 12 hour plates that had all that growth. It's, it's the same, the same exposed cans. We just took half of them and put them under the UV and ionizer. And then the other half, we immediately sampled without any of the UV or ionized, ionized air, ionized sterile air. Cool. Has there been any noticeable outcome, for example, you know, fewer consumer complaints or flags on sensory panel or, or anything like that after this project? Um, I'll, I'll take that. Yeah, I don't, we never really had, uh, we, we had one recall with a low alcohol logger, uh, but we're pretty sure it was this old uh, packaging equipment we had. Um, but other than that, no, we, we, haven't had anything like that happen previously and it, it's really just you know a cya covering our butt just to you know um you know there's as, as they say there's uh there's two types of breweries breweries that have had an infection and breweries that are that are yet to have an infection that was jamie fulton and mark bagazinski here on the master brewers podcast Thanks to strong work by volunteer district officers like Austin Heisha District, Texas, members can download 807 and counting presentations like Community Beers, What's in Your Can? You can find this one in the district presentations archive under the Meetings tab, or just type UV into the industry's best search bar at mbaa.com. We're taking this show on the road. I'll be talking yeast with Graham Stewart, dry hopping with Tom Shellhammer, kvike yeast with Richard Priest, oxygen ingress on small canning lines with Brooke Bell, diastaticus detection with Matt Linsky, and so much more. Master Brewers Live is a brand new addition to the 2019 Master Brewers Conference. So grab your passport, get registered at mbaa.com, and join us in the Master Brewers Live studio October 31st and November 1st in Calgary.
Check out the brand new Master Brewers podcast website. You'll find guest profiles, information about upcoming live events, and more. All at masterbrewerspodcast.com. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, ABS, Proximity Malt, BSG, and Malt Europe. So please, let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support. 